0: Welcome back to the Ishan Ash Show. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the 2022 midterms and where things stand in this first installment of a multi-part series covering the future of American politics. We'll be talking about where critical races are and which people to watch for the next election season. We'll be talking about those stories and more today, June 15th, 2021. From Anchor by Spotify, this is the Ishan Ash Show. With me, your host, Ishan. Welcome back to the Ishan S Show. My name is Ishan, and it is great to have you back. Today, we're going to be deflecting away from political news and instead talk about the future of American politics in this new multi part series that I'm creating. In this first installment of the series, I'm going to be talking about the 2022 midterm elections and where I think the current numbers and recent events indicate where things are headed next year. And the following questions, like will President Biden be able to follow through on the promises he made to the American people as a candidate? Does Donald Trump hold on to the Republican Party the way he once did? and who's in the favorites to win Congress next year are all going to be asked. Now, to start off, I think we should all take a close look at the Republican pro- Party. They are the uh, uh, the opposition in Congress right now. And in my view, the ball is in their court. The path that they take in response to whatever President Biden does will indicate both the grasp of Donald Trump's on the party And what entails in the 2024 Republican primaries. So far much of the Republican Party has wholeheartedly embraced Donald Trump and despite the fact that he's been out of office for nearly six months now which is he's held on to it in a pretty interesting way and that's different from other outgoing and former presidents like Presidents Bush and Clinton their parties did embrace them as leading figures as after they left office and even held on for a while. But even if their parties did hold on for a while, they didn't hold on that long. This long, really. Take the Democratic Party after the 2016 election. Obama was out, and there was no leading figure like him, and Hillary Clinton was no longer the nominee or a leader of the party. In a short matter of time, Democrats had no real leadership in the Trump era, yet they consolidated their platforms and united against Donald Trump, who was the president at the time, and beat him in the 2018 midterms in the House, and then took the presidency and the Senate from him in 2020. And I see that consolidation happening for Republicans this year, too. For them, it happened at 12.01 p.m. on January 20th, 2021, when they all consolidated behind Donald Trump. This was right after Biden became president. And what it proves is that Donald Trump's hold on the party is quite as strong as it seems. He was impeached for a second time. And yes, 17 Republican members of Congress defected in all of this. But the fierce opposition that each of these people faced was tough just for not being loyal to Donald Trump. Senator Lisa Murkowski, the only Republican senator of the seven who voted to convict who was up for re-election in 2022, was threatened with a primary challenge instantly by Donald Trump when she announced that he she thought he was guilty of the charges issued against him. Mitt Romney was booed by members of his own party at the Utah Republican Party convention. Senators like Susan Collins were censured by their Republican parties, the state Republican parties, and people like Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, were also threatened with a primary challenge against him. More notably, though, the tale of Liz Cheney will be told in the future for things like this, because Representative Liz Cheney was faced with a no-confidence vote in her leadership position as the number three House Republican two times. The first time, she survived it with a pretty comfortable margin, but later on as she continued to challenge President Trump's unfounded claims of the election being stolen from him, her party had a second vote, but this time they didn't even count the votes. They just did a simple voice vote in a cafeteria, and it was clear that they opposed her for opposing Trump, and she was promptly ousted from her position, despite the fact that she's a hardcore Cheney conservative, and she supported Trump's agenda 92% of the time, while her replacement, Representative Elise Stefanik, only supported Trump's agenda 77% of the time. The difference between these two candidates was that one was loyal to Trump during the election and the other wasn't. The Cheney vote, the primary threats, the booing and the censure votes, etc. are all affirmations and indications of the fact that the Republican Party is entering the 2022 election season as the party of Trump. And the message that's being sent out is that if you're a Republican and you're not for Trump, then don't bother being a Republican. Before this year, the infighting within the Republican Party was not nearly as stark and divisive, though. And in reality, much of the Republican Party was still pretty pro-Trump. It was only after the 2020 election that it became clear some Republicans were just simply over Trump and wished to move on. And slowly, most Republicans began to accept the results of the 2020 election, which really just vindicated Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's victory. And it was January 6th, that showed most Republicans just simply had 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 enough of Donald Trump altogether. But now, as we mark the halfway point of the year 2021, it still isn't clear what the Republican Party wants, other than for Donald Trump to be back in office. Most opposition to Joe Biden right now, like the Cheney vote, has not been solely based off of policy views. For the opposition to Biden, a lot of it has been about just opposing Biden. Mitch McConnell, the Republican minority leader in the Senate, said, quote, 100% of my focus is standing up to this administration, end quote. Or in other words, rejecting much of the Biden agenda so that you can get your agenda across. After being sworn in, President Biden indicated that he had quite the ambitious plan for his first 100 days in office, including passing trillions of dollars in economic relief, trying to bolster vaccine distribution, and promote bipartisanship. Yet with such a closely divided Congress, not a lot of those goals are completely achievable. Heck, in the Senate, where there is a 50-50 tie with only VP Harris to break it in Democrats' favor— Tons of planning is required to have just the 50 Democrat senators on board a single plan. On one end of the Democrat spectrum, you have your progressives and liberals, like Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. While sitting on the center of the spectrum, you have your moderate centrists, like Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, both of whom Biden has called out for not being on board with the Democrats' agenda a lot of the time. If Biden wants to get anything done on big matters, he needs the support, the confirmed support, of people like Manchin and Cinema, while also trying his best to enter into the equation the needs of progressives' wishes from senators like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And this doesn't even account for the 60 votes required to have a filibuster-proof majority. Without all these people together in the Democratic Party, things like the proposed $15 minimum wage fail, and challenges are levied against the less ambitious infrastructure plans like liberals are right now in the Senate. At this moment, Biden's only wishes are probably to figure out how to get anything done. And in order to answer that question, he'll need to expand his majority in the Senate for sure. And it wouldn't hurt to do so in the House either. For Joe Biden, the goal is to have a reliable majority in both houses of Congress. Because right now, people on the extreme ends of his, po- of his party in Congress have a lot of power, and they are definitely aware of it, and they sure as heck aren't afraid to wield it. What a reliable majority looks like is having more than 50 Democrats in the Senate to have a little more wiggle room and a little more leeway in negotiations, and something a little bit bigger than a four-seat majority in the House. Now we need to step aside right now. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this short break to talk about what seats I have my eye on For the 2022 midterms, and who I think in the end is going to be taking back each chamber of Congress. Stick around, we'll be right back. Okay, so I'm back. Uh, Before the break, I was talking about the path in which the big parties were headed. I said Donald Trump was the presumed leader of the Republican Party, and that there exists an eternal struggle between progressives and moderates in the Democratic Party, and this is going to force. President Biden to one to expand his majorities in the House and Senate, so that 's where I think the the big parties stand now we want to look at uh the where where the House of Representatives stands so right now in or well not right now, but next year in twenty twenty two Democrats have two hundred and twenty two seats that are up, and Republicans in the House have two hundred and thirteen seats that are up for reelection of these. About five seats or five pickups are needed for Republicans in order to gain back the House majority. So there's a lot that's going on in all of this. There's a lot that needs to be seen uh, of where things are going to be headed for uh, the House. Currently, we have to take into account retirements and redistricting in all of the states so currently in the Democratic Party, in the Democratic caucus, seven uh, people are up, are, are not up, are retiring for the, in time for the 2022 election. And a lot of these uh, people are actually running for further office. For example, Representative Val Demings of the 10th District in Florida is running for U.S. Senate against Marco Rubio. Um, Representative Tim Ryan on Ohio's 13th district is retiring to run for U.S. Senate against, um, or no, running for the open seat there. And Charlie Crist from Florida's 13th is running to for governor of Florida. And again, in the Republican Party, there are another seven retirements so far of which Alabama's fifth, uh, district's representative Mo Brooks is running for U.S. Senate, uh, Jody Heiss is running for Georgia Secretary of State. M- Vicky Vicky Hartzler is running from Missouri's Fourth is running for U.S. Senate, and Lee Zeldin from New York's First District is running for Governor of New York. So there's a lot that's been um, going on with a lot more retirements that we're seeing from Republicans and Democrats for further office. Now, for most of the seats that we see uh, vacancies in most of these seats i'm pretty sure are just safe uh reliable for each of the parties like uh for the democrats the retirements which we're seeing are big retire are retirements from big urban areas which are historically always democrat and for republicans they are out of ruby red states like alabama and missouri and from and in the case of new york the uh upstate new york is pretty much republican country so there's um, you know, a reliability there. So you don't need to worry that much about losing these seats if you're in either party, because these are reliable seats that are going to be held on to. Now for reapportionment, which is basically when the census comes and reapportion seats uh, from each of the states, uh, six new districts uh, will be created and two districts in Montana are going to be restored after the 2020 redistricting process. So the states of Colorado, Florida, Montana, um, North Carolina, Oregon, and Texas are all going to gain new seats. So uh, Montana is going to have now Montana's first and Montana's second. And Texas is gonna have a Texas is 37th and 38th uh, districts. Um, these are two new seats, uh, and these are in the favor uh, in favor of uh, Republicans, uh, because Montana's legislature is controlled by Republicans, as is the Texas legislature. It's also re- re- controlled by Republicans, and in state politics, the only thing you need to know is if you control the state legislature, you control the districting redistricting process. Um, and in these states, the legislatures control the redistricting process. So in Montana, that second district, which they're getting now, I think is probably going to be is going to be lined up in a way where the uh, d- the, the district does go for Republicans. Now, mind you that Montana still has a little potential because they technically have a U.S. senator who's a Democrat, And he all he, I think he served as the at large representative for the state. And they had a governor, a Democrat governor, but he lost his bid for U.S. Senate in 2020. We'll need to see where Montana goes because that's an interesting one. I would want to see where the race is headed there. And in Texas, Texas is a you know, it's an emerging swing state, it's not swingy yet, but it's a it's a um, an emerging swing state. And the but the problem for Democrats here is that uh, Texas is controlled by the Texas legislature is controlled by Republicans. So creating those two extra districts, I'm very sure will probably be designed in a way to be in favor of Republicans who want to run for those districts. Now, the states of California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania and West Virginia are all going to lose districts. And this, from this, we can tell that it is Democrats who are losing here. California, I think, if I'm not wrong, for the first time in its history, is going to lose seats instead of gain seats in uh, redistricting. Illinois is going to lose a seat. Michigan is going to lose a seat. New York is going to lose a seat. Ohio is going to lose a seat. All of these seats are... I'm pretty sure Democrat uh, threatening or threatening Democrats as major- the Democratic Party's majority, uh, future majorities, because most of these states are reliably, uh, reliably Democrat uh, and they control the redistricting process. But again, they don't have a lot of districts to work with. Uh, so that does kind of compromise their ability to run things uh, in terms of the redistricting process here. The Republicans and the Democrats each released about fifty to sixty. Um, well, the Dem- Republicans let uh, released sixty seats, but the Democrats released about twenty seats um, that they are targeting. Uh, and for Republicans, many of these states are Arizona, whose delegation is a majority Democrat. California, Georgia, Illinois. Nevada, Oregon, for Republicans, it's those states and for Democrats, they want to expand on their Arizona delegation. They want Arizona, they want to take back some Californian districts, Florida, Iowa, Indiana, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Utah. That's where they're targeting their money. Now, where do I see, uh, where do I feel like things stand right now? So, I think I said this in the first episode Rhetoric matters a lot in House elections, not maybe as much as in Senate elections, but in House elections, they matter a lot because House elections are based on district and the scope of uh, who you're talking about is a lot smaller, meaning you have to work with a smaller amount of people who have a much larger uh, or not larger, but stronger viewpoints on matters. Any matter or any rhetoric that is going to be used over the next year and a half is going to directly impact the House composition, in my view. And in this situation, I think this might hurt Democrats a little because of the whole progressive moderate situation that they're facing right now defunding the police and socialism were what some moderate Democrats who lost their seats, that's what they kind of blamed their loss on in 2020, that the rhetoric was very much uh, shaped against them as a bunch of people being, you know, socialists and being against the police, defunding them completely. And they didn't really even have that viewpoint of their own, uh, as their own. So many people were annoyed with this rhetoric uh, that, was being, that they were being characterized with. And this year, I don't think that's going anywhere. I'm, I think the Democrats are going to face that challenge of rhetoric again. And, and with President Biden and the Democrats controlling the trifecta, which is the House, the Senate, and the presidency, I think the scrutiny that they're going to face for just doing whatever they do, it might hurt. Uh, It might hurt because midterm election years are generally not favorable to incumbent parties. Asco President Obama, he lost pretty big in his first midterm election. So that was, I think, uh, 12, I think it was 12 years ago. That year, his uh, or that year in um, 2010, Republicans gained 63 seats and. Democrats lost the same amount, setting the number at 242 to 193 um, House composition. And for Donald Trump in 2018, that was, it it was also something similar. He took a major blow himself where it became 41 seats and Republicans lost 42, setting it to, to 235 to 199. I think if you want to look at it um, from a historical perspective, this next election may not be as favorable for the Democrats, just because of the fact that Biden is president right now, and midterm elections have historically not exactly been in the favor of incumbent presidents. We'll check that out, uh, and then for, for in terms of the Democrats and for Republicans, I think it's going to matter. Their messaging is going to matter because. If you're the party of trump many districts were not very much in favor of trump in 2020 so you might want to see the rhetoric that they hold up uh because if they embrace donald trump to the levels at which some people think they might wanna in the hardcore districts if they're going to embrace trump in those types of level at those types of levels voters in swing districts are very much going to hate that uh, not hate that, but just not like it or not appreciate it. And that's where you'll lose votes. And those are votes that can go to the Democrats. So, the same thing can happen for Democrats if you embrace this, this uh, left-wing stuff a little too much. Moderates in swing districts are going to blow it for uh, and go over to the Dem- Republicans. But for the Republicans, this is a bigger issue because this has been seen and it's happened before in the 2020 election where the over embracement of Donald Trump has lost them a few seats. Mind you, but despite well, but despite that Republicans did make about 12, a 12 seat gain in 2020, but they still lost a bunch of seats, uh, too. And those seats that were lost we're lost because of this rhetoric and the embracement of Donald, embracing of Donald Trump. So if they continue with this path, that might prove to be harmful for them. So in 2022, really what's going to be looked for is which one hurts more, the Democrats being the socialists uh, or, you know, whatever they're going to be characterized as or the Republicans embracing Trump. That's what we want to look for in the Senate elections, or not in the Senate elections, in the uh, House of Representative elections. Now, in the U.S. Senate, as I have mentioned various times um, in the on this show, the U.S. Senate is currently split 50-50 at the moment, and being split 50-50 means things are very close, and... Everybody just wants uh, to. Everyone just wants to get a greater majority. Now it's different here in the in the Senate because there are a few more retirements that are actually going to happen on the Republican side, as opposed to an even number like we saw in the House. So actually, and as a matter of fact, so far all the retirements have that have been announced are Republican retirements. Those are the states of Missouri. Alabama, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. Let me get the next these two states out of the way right now. Missouri and Alabama are safe Republican seats. I don't see them going anywhere. Missouri might get a little close just because uh, Roy Blunt isn't running there. Actually, Roy Blunt ran in twenty sixteen. And he had a pretty difficult time. He only won by 2% in a state where Trump, I think, won by 10%, won by 10% of the vote. But that said, set that aside, I still feel like Missouri is going to be a safe Republican state and Alabama is going to be, like, hardcore. The three states that you're looking at out of these retirements are Ohio, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. All three of these states were considered swing states, in the 2020 election, the 2018 elections, 2016 elections, and every election before that. Uh, but the thing is, of these three, only Pennsylvania went to Biden. Ohio went to Trump, I think, by 9%. And North Carolina, a little closer, it was 2% for Trump. Uh, and that's that's where Democrats are really ambitious right now. They think that they have a shot at winning in all three of these states. And I wouldn't blame them for that. I think that's actually not, the, that's not a bad strategy. Those three states are probably gonna do them the biggest favors because right now it's a 50-50 tie. And if it's a 50-50 tie, then your goal is to make sure that you have, like I said, a little more wiggle room to get things done. And that's what the Democrats want. And those three seats, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina are all seats that are going to be huge assets for them, because these are all full term seats. So these are going to be assets for them for the next six years. While I think Ohio might be a bit more difficult to attain, North Carolina has shown to be a bit more of a Democrat state than others. They have a Democrat governor right now, and the Senate race there in 2020 wasn't Uh, Well, it was actually an average margin for a North Carolina election, but still, it was an election, a Senate election that was delayed for a few days because they were still counting votes because it was pretty close there. And in Ohio, uh, the only reason Democrats really have hope is because of two things. One, they have evidence of winning with Sherrod Brown, the only statewide elected Democrat there. And... Uh, you know, you don't know if it's hope or not, but uh, Tim Ryan, Representative Tim Ryan, who I just, who I mentioned earlier, he's running for that seat. And uh, that seat, or Tim Ryan is a well-known guy. He ran for president and he made a name for himself. So he's running for that seat, Ohio's Senate seat. Those are the states that Democrats, I think, really want to focus on and really want to get. Other Uh, And for the Republicans, the three states that I feel they definitely got their eye on are Arizona, Georgia, and New Hampshire. These are three states that Republicans have their eye on to make their majority a 53 to 47 majority. For Arizona and Georgia, these two seats were up for election last year as special elections. In Arizona, that seat went to Mark Kelly, the Democrat, and in Georgia... The special election seat went to Senator Raphael Warnock. Both of these were surprises to pretty much everyone in political world because these are two reliably Republican states that somehow went uh, took a full one eighty and went for Democrats in twenty twenty. Like, here's here's uh, a good way to paint this: in twenty sixteen, Georgia and Arizona had two Republican senators. And two and they each had a Republican a governor, and they were not even in question of being Republican or Democrat in any in the near future. Four years and over the next four years, Democrats took the one of the Senate seats in Arizona, that was Kirsten Cinema, and they managed to take the delegation in Georgia within just a matter of one uh, within the, just the matter of one election year. They were able to take both Senate seats and they were able to win and Democrats were able to win both states, Arizona and Georgia, on the presidential level, which hasn't been seen in 20 years or something. Those are and I think that was delivered a major blow to Republicans. And uh, I don't think they like that very much. So they're very they're definitely eyeing Arizona and Georgia to take back. And then New Hampshire, Chris Sununu is the governor there. And many people in the Republican Party are, like, requesting him to run because he's the only Republican who, I agree with Republicans when they say this, he's the only Republican in that state who actually has a shot at winning the Senate seat. I think the person who's up there is Maggie Hassan. If I'm not wrong, uh, yeah, Maggie Hassan. She's the senator from New Hampshire. She's running there. Chris Sununu seems to be the only, you know, only plausible Republican to win in the state of New Hampshire. And these are like the three seats, the three main pickups that I think Republicans can, re- can eye on. Now, in t- overall, uh, the states that you will probably want to have your eye on for the 2022 midterms uh, are Nevada, Arizona, Colorado... Wisconsin, Wisconsin is another state that should be talked about because Wisconsin's Ron Johnson, he's still deciding whether or not he wants to run for re-election. Uh, he promised he wouldn't run for re-election in 2016 uh, for a third term, but he, you know he's still deciding and Donald Trump wants him to run. So Wisconsin, we're waiting for an announcement there. And we're also waiting for an announcement out of Iowa, Chuck Grassley, the oldest U.S. senator in the Senate right now he is still considering whether or not he wants to run for his seat. He's the oldest senator and, you know, Democrats have like a tiny, tiny shot at winning that seat too. So they might want to play their cards there, uh, but only if things work out for them and Grassley decides to either retire or they decide that they want to mount a tough challenge against him. We're waiting for an announcement out of Iowa. The other states... uh, as we mentioned, Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, New Hampshire, Vermont is another state. I don't know if that's going to be and close at all, uh but there is going to be a bit of a change should Patrick Leahy decide to retire. He's the Senate pro tempore right now. if he decides to retire um nothing big. It's just going to be the first Democrat retirement of the season so far, of the election season so far. Uh, no, others, uh, and the last few states are Georgia and Florida. We talked about Georgia. Florida, Val Demings is running for that seat against Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio's success in that state has not actually been that big. In his first election, Rubio got 48% of the vote while his other two opponents split the vote and each got 26% of the vote. Now, uh, in, the, in, in the year after that, Rubio won with 52% again against Patrick Murphy with 44%. That was a bit more of a convincing stance there. But Val Demings is actually a little more popular and far more well-known than... Um, than Patrick Murphy may have been at the time. In fact, uh, Val Demings was vetted to be vice president. We don't know Kamala Harris got that that job, but she was considered for that position. So many people in the state of Florida do definitely recognize Val Demings, and I feel like she'll probably put up a much, uh, a far more tough challenge against Marco Rubio in Florida. But yeah, those are the states that you probably want to have your eye on. Alaska's not going to be competitive but that primary challenge that I was talking about against Lisa Murkowski, that's going to be taking place in Alaska. And they have this new ranked choice voting system. So that's where you want to see uh, or that's where you're going to want to see how things are going to work out in Alaska. So again, a quick review, Alaska, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. These are all the states that I have my eye on. And uh, that's where I see the Senate elections and the House elections for 2022. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was great having you on. Uh, I love making this first installment to the Future of American Politics series, and I hope to keep adding on to it. If you want more updates on the show and where things are headed or breaking news updates or whatever, follow the Ishan S. Show on Instagram. Go ahead and tell your friends and family or whoever about this show if you know they'll like it. And stick around because we'll be back on Friday for episode five. Thanks for joining us. Bye.